Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 741 for the 30th of April, 2021. This week, despite its many useful features, Facebook includes a plethora of dangers, frustrations, and annoyances. A browser plugin has been making Facebook less annoying for years. A new version works with Facebook's latest updates, and the developer is now designing an app that will bring some of the features to phones and tablets. In short circuits, maybe you've seen suggestions for improving Windows networking speeds with a simple registry tweak. The good news is that the tweak doesn't harm anything. But the bad news is it also doesn't do much to improve things. It may seem like email has been around forever, but it was invented just 50 years ago, and it didn't become widely available until 30 years ago. In spare parts, only on the website, in an effort to become an important player in medical computing, Microsoft is acquiring Nuance. A survey suggests that about half of U.S. students are concerned about school safety and the ability of school administrators to deal with threats. And 20 years ago, a small organization in Toronto launched Naked News. It's still around, but most of the news has been replaced by feature stories, and there are no longer weather reports. Facebook is simultaneously one of the most useful features on the Internet and one of the most infuriating. The ability to keep in touch with friends and family is always welcome, and sometimes it's been indispensable. But Facebook's lethargic or non-existent efforts to curb scammers is exasperating. And that's just one thing that's annoying. Fortunately, those who interact with Facebook on a computer via a browser can rely on Social Fixer to eliminate some of the annoyances. And maybe the developer will be able to create companion apps for iOS and Android devices. One of Social Fixer's most essential features is the ability to eliminate sponsored posts. Now, I fully understand that Facebook needs to monetize the service. They can't do it for free. Anyone who thinks Facebook is free is, in fact, a fool. So I'm not philosophically opposed to advertisements on Facebook, but I am opposed to sponsored posts from scammers, from purveyors of disinformation, and from people who offer something that interests me not at all. When I use Facebook on an Android phone or an iOS device, these are inescapable. It's not uncommon to see a product being offered by someone who is clearly a scammer, the product might not even be possible given current technology, or it might be priced impossibly low. The ad may be for a giveaway, for which nothing will ever be given away. If Facebook had some sort of advertising clearance operation that reviewed ads before they were shown, I'd be a lot less tempted to simply block all ads. 
Facebook knows who I am, knows what I'm interested in, knows more or less where I live, and knows what my political leanings are. And yet Facebook repeatedly tries to show me ads for products or services I would never buy, and for politicians, products, and services that disgust me. If Facebook had policies in place that refused to allow advertisers to specify absurdly large targets, such as someone who lives in the United States, again, I would be less tempted to simply block all ads. That's just one of the features that Social Fixer provides, but let's start with the overall appearance. Facebook ads features that they seem to assume everyone will like, even though that is thoroughly illogical. Some people simply detest change. Others see no use for certain features. Good development procedure calls for giving users a way to adjust the application to suit their own needs. The latest version of Facebook has five buttons at the top of the screen, Home, Pages, Watch, Marketplace, and Groups. There's a Stories feature just below the buttons, and advertisements are located at the top of the right column. Social Fixer allows users to hide these features that they don't want. You'll see an image on the TechFinder Worldwide website that shows Social Fixer in the Hide Show Parts of the Page mode at the top. The green components there are ones that will be allowed. The pink components are blocked. The bottom of that image shows the resulting Facebook homepage with the items blocked. Now everybody needs the home button, so keep that. I keep the pages button because I have a personal page and a TechBiter page, but it's useless for those who have a single page. I would consider retaining the watch button if Facebook would eliminate scams and disinformation videos. Because they don't, I turn that button off. I also turn off the Marketplace button because I don't plan to use Facebook to find something to buy. I do leave the Groups button because I belong to several groups, as probably you do too, and it's nice to have some clues as to what the groups are doing. But it is the Stories section that I detest because it takes up far too much screen real estate. I don't belong to Instagram and I don't care to view Facebook's Instagram wannabe Stories. Facebook is much more usable when all that junk is gone. And what's even better is that Social Fixer allows each user to determine what's junk and what's not, even if Facebook's developers don't or can't allow users to do that. When Facebook started pushing out a new user interface, a lot of people expressed dismay and wanted to retain the old look. That wasn't possible, of course, because Facebook knows best. Developer Matt Cruz created a browser plugin that attempted to replicate the old look, but it depended on using some services that Facebook has since then taken out of service. Instead, Krauss rewrote his Social Fixer application from scratch in an attempt to restore all of the features that users value in the new Facebook format. Most of the features are available now, including the ability to hide sponsored ads, automatically switch the news feed to most recent posts, hide political posts, filter the news feed based on factors that the user selects, find out when a friend changes their name or unfriends you, create a tabbed news feed for better organization, and hide posts once you've read them. These are in addition to the ability to hide some parts of the page. But why do we need an app to automatically switch to recent posts? 
Well, that's because Facebook has a nasty habit of switching users to the top stories view of the newsfeed, even when the user repeatedly switches to most recent view. Social Fixer will automatically switch you back to the most recent view when Facebook switches the view without asking you. Ads are hidden using Social Fixer's filters panel. Start by enabling Hide Sponsored and Suggested Posts, which is a subscription. There's no cost. Subscription just means that the filter will be updated as needed. If some ads slip through the basic filter, users can add their own filter and then define conditions required for something to be hidden. When the user chooses to hide ads, there are two options. Make the ad vanish without a trace or replace the ad with a small message that displays the name of the advertiser. Facebook does occasionally display a useful ad, one that I might want to see, one that isn't a scam. So this makes it easy to view the ad if you do want to see it. Just click the line of text and the ad will appear. Social Fixer includes several display tweaks, including a new one that highlights a comment that's linked from the notifications panel. It's not uncommon for users to click a notification, which then opens the comments section of the post, and then be unable to quickly spot the referenced comment. When this feature is enabled, the comment will be displayed with a light blue background and a dashed outline. Those who don't like the color or the outline can edit the function's settings to choose a different color or no color, and to change the outline or remove it. Another welcome feature is called Fix Enter in Comments, Replies, and Chat. In a lengthy comment or chat, many people would like to create a paragraph break. The problem is that Facebook submits comments when the user presses Enter. To create just a line break without submitting the comment, Facebook's default is Control-Enter. That seems exactly backwards to many users, including me. Enabling Fix Enter in comments, replies, and chats makes it so that Enter just creates a new line, and submitting a comment is accomplished with Control-Enter. The latest version of Social Fixer is still a work in progress, and not all of the old features are in place yet. Additionally, Krause updates the code frequently when Facebook does something that breaks a feature. The application is free, but donations are encouraged by Krause, and by me too. Krause recently used some of the donations to hire an app developer to create a code base that he hopes he'll be able to use in creating Social Fixer for iOS and Android devices. That is probably the single most requested feature from people who like the clean, ordered interface of Facebook with Social Fixer on a computer and find Facebook's heavy-handed manner on mobile devices very annoying. Social Fixer is available from the website as well as from the add-on or extension services for most browsers. So the bottom line here is five cats eliminate Facebook annoyances the easy way. Even if you don't mind the fraudulent ads, Facebook can still be improved dramatically by Social Fixer. Although Social Fixer is free, donating regularly allows Matt Krause to put more effort into the development. It is him and just a few volunteers who provide support against the massive group of developers at Facebook. You'll find additional details on the Social Fixer website, and you'll of course find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, 
and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, have you seen a flurry of recent articles that promise big speed increases if you edit the Windows register to change a default setting? Let me start with a spoiler. Don't expect much change. But let's take a look at what happened when I gave it a try. What's odd is that I found nearly half a dozen articles that all appeared to have come from a single source. So did a bunch of tech writers each copy an article of questionable value without testing it? Or did I miss something? The claim is that users can increase network speed in Windows 10 by increasing IRP stack size. That's the number of stack locations in I.O. request packets. Each stack uses 36 bytes of memory, and by default there are 15 stacks. The recommendation is to increase that number to 32, which is 20 in hexadecimal notation. Okay, so let's give that a try. The standard warning applies here. Making an error while editing the registry file can make the computer inoperable, so it's always wise to back up the registry and create a restore point before doing any registry editing. Press the Windows button and type regedit, R-E-G-E-D-I-T. Then select the registry editor. Start with the HK local machine and drill down to system, current control set, services. Then scroll the list down to Landman Server and select Parameters. Right-click Parameters and select New from the context menu, then add a DWORD 32-bit value. Name the new value IRP Stack Size and fill in a value of 20 hexadecimal, or change the value to decimal and enter 32. When you're done, back out of the registry and restart the computer. Now, let's see just how much my network speed has improved. Check out the illustration on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I tested network speed before making the registry change. Ping took 10 milliseconds. Jitter was reported at 4 milliseconds. Download 147 megabits per second. Upload 11 megabits per second. Following the registry change and the system reboot, the ping speed dropped slightly to 9 milliseconds. Jitter increased to 6 milliseconds. The download speed was slightly higher at 152 megabits per second. Uplink speed still 11 megabits per second. That is not exactly a substantial increase, is it? It's about a 3% improvement. That's well within the range that I could expect based on varying network speeds day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute. Additional tests over the next week indicated that speeds were about what I'd come to expect. In other words, it wasn't really worth the time spent editing the registry. Email has been with us for 50 years. As the most common vector for malware and spam, it is a constant irritant. But email continues to be useful, even when it's not always welcome. There's nothing in sight that's likely to replace email. Unlike early internet protocols such as Archie, Gopher, Veronica, and Jughead, email has persisted. 
Many current Internet users probably have never heard of those other four because they've all been replaced by the web. The Gopher Protocol was designed to distribute documents over Internet protocol networks. Archie was used to index FTP archives and is considered to be the first Internet search engine. Veronica was a search engine system for the Gopher Protocol. It was a constantly updated database of menu items on thousands of Gopher servers. Jughead was another search engine system for the Gopher Protocol, but it was able to search only one server at a time. The World Wide Web banished them all to oblivion, but email continued. In 1971, software engineer Ray Tomlinson introduced the at sign symbol to indicate the address of a target server on ARPANET, the forerunner of the Internet. That at sign is still in use, and every day about 300 million email messages transfers the Internet. There have been attempts to kill email. Instant messages are popular but have a lot of limitations. Email is likely to be with us for quite some time. So perhaps you'd enjoy a brief look at how we got here. IBM introduced networking with a system known as the Administrative Terminal System back in 1962. This allowed users to view information on remote computers. The Advanced Research Projects Agency, or ARPA, made up of military and university locations, created ARPANET in 1969. And the first email message was sent between computers in October of that year. The SendMail protocol didn't yet exist. In 1971, ARPA became DARPA because the name had been changed to the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. In 1971, programmer Ray Tomlinson thought of using the at sign between the recipient's name and the identification of the computer where the recipient's mailbox was located within the ARPANET system. For that reason, Tomlinson is considered to be the inventor of network email. DARPA worked to standardize email operations in the 1970s, with the first standardized features being written in 1973. These included specifications for to and from fields. By 1977, most of the functionality we use today had been created, but the simple mail transfer protocol, or SMTP, wasn't introduced until 1981. SMTP has been updated several times since then. It now includes functions for authentication, encryption, and binary data transfer. SMTP servers still use port 25 for plain text messages, but port 587 has been added for encrypted communications. One of the biggest changes in email came in 1989, when CompuServe launched the first email program designed for home users. CompuServe users could exchange messages with other CompuServe users, but not yet with the rest of the world. Then America Online made a huge change. Founded in 1985, AOL gave users access to Internet Mail in 1991 by offering free email addresses for users. Email and the Internet would never be the same. AOL introduced the phrase, You've got mail! That became so well-known that it became the title to a motion picture starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Then came Hotmail. In 1996, Hotmail gave everyone who signed up for Internet access a free email account. Microsoft now owns Hotmail. Yahoo offered free email starting in 1997. Even Gmail has been around for so long that anyone younger than their mid-twenties won't be able to remember a time when it didn't exist. 
Google's free email service offered users one gigabyte of storage, far more than any other provider back then. In the 17 years since April 1st, 2004, it has increased to 15 gigabytes for free. Instant messaging was supposed to kill email. So were Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But email usage continues to increase. Cloud HQ, which offers productivity tools designed for business users of Gmail, says the average employee sends 40 emails a day, receives 121. Some 1.6 billion people around the globe use Gmail. That's almost one person out of every five. In businesses, chat applications have reduced the number of email messages, but email continues to be the leader for those who want to have a permanent record of messages that can be easily searched. It's also the superior way to send and receive attachments. But attachments can be dangerous, and they're one of the two ways that email is used to distribute malware. For that reason, an attachment in any email message should be considered potentially dangerous. It should be obvious that opening an attachment in a message from someone you don't know is risky. And even attachments from people you do know should generally be sniffed by whatever protective application is installed on your computer before you open it. The other common vector for malware is an email that contains a link to a rogue website. These may be even more dangerous than attachments because it is difficult to preview the website cautiously. Being aware of the potential danger means that careful users will avoid clicking links whenever possible and instead use other means to confirm the information provided in the email. So despite changes over the years and potential hazards we face today, we probably shouldn't expect email to be supplanted anytime soon. Spare parts won't be supplanted anytime soon either, so you can visit the TechBiter Worldwide website and this week you'll find these articles. In an effort to become an important player in medical computing, Microsoft is acquiring Nuance. A survey suggests that about half of U.S. students are concerned about school safety and the ability of school administrators to deal with threats. And 20 years ago, a small organization in Toronto launched Naked News. It's still around, but most of the news has been replaced by feature stories, and sadly, there are no longer weather reports. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.